Hi, this is Ariana Roberts, and you're listening to Arcana Imperii. Arcana Imperii is a podcast that covers technology, literature, the arts, and current events. Today's topic is technology in AI. Given the rise of technology and the development of AI, many experts have been tasked with tackling ethical dilemmas inherent with technology, such as AI, robotics, automated driving, etc., The guest we'll be talking to today is Mark McKenna. He is a law professor of Notre Dame, teaching information privacy law and first-year torts class. He is also the faculty director of Notre Dame Law School's program of intellectual property and technology law. He is now running the Technology Ethics Lab at Notre Dame. We turn now to the interview. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto my podcast and answer sure. my questions. So I guess the first question I have is when people like hear about AI and they have fears about AI, they usually focus on malevolent AI. You know, we've seen all the movies with Skynet and Hal running amok. But since like you kind of deal more with real world, so what are your biggest concerns with AI? That's a really good question. Um, it's a very good question for two reasons. One is um, there's not really a single definition for artificial intelligence, right? Artificial intelligence refers to a, a bunch of different related technologies. What they have in common, usually the way people use that term, what they have in common um, is that it's um, computer-based technology that um, that is in some capacity has some capacity to learn or to sort of automate tasks by which you mean i mean uh, a lot old-fashioned computer programming would be like you tell a computer execute this task in this order uh, but artificial intelligence instead of doing that you might say i'm not going to tell you the instructions i'm just going to tell you what the end goal is here and then you want the computer to kind of find the patterns to do it so uh, some versions of that are totally benign and they're actually very helpful. Like it might be an artificial intelligence tool that it, instead of you having to read through hundreds of thousands of columns of numbers, you can just say, you know, go find all the numbers that match this pattern or something. Um, but you're right, the science fiction sometimes paints the future of artificial intelligence as that the is what we get so-called general artificial intelligence, which is like a human brain and it knows how to think and it has its own goals and that we can't stop it because it won't listen to us anymore. So uh, my understanding from all the people I know who are the, the best technologists is that we're still a very, very long way away from anything like that kind of general artificial intelligence. But that doesn't mean there aren't things to worry about. There's a lot of problems with artificial intelligence right now. Um, in particular, I think, well, we're seeing lots of discussion, good discussion about the problems of bias in artificial intelligence. So artificial computer systems ha- have to learn to do their tasks. You have to train them by giving them lots of information. If the information you give them is bad, or it's uh, like, for example, there's a f- kind of a famous example where there's a technology company that said, you know, we're getting lots and lots of applications from people who want to work for us we can't really have a human being read through all of those. So what if we just tell the computer system, 
here are the resumes of all the people we've hired in the past. You read the new applications when they come in and find people who are like the people we hired in the past. Oh, right. right. So if there were biases with the hiring process before, then they're just going to continue. And and, and even do it more efficiently Mm because now the computer does it, right? So you can see the problem. So what do you suspect was true of that company's hiring in the past? Who did they hire, do you think? Probably like white males, that kind of thing. Exactly. Disproportionately white men. And so what the system learned is oh, you want to hire white men, let's get rid of the women, let's get rid of the people of color. Um, And it's not because the computer was consciously thinking that, it was just saying, this is the information you gave me to learn from. The pattern that I extract from that is a biased one. So sometimes computers reveal to us biases that we actually have been implementing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so that sometimes the explanation for biases that we're giving bad data Right? Or we're giving data that reveals a particular bias, and now the computer just does it more efficiently. There's another bunch of examples of that. Like some People have talked a lot about how sometimes police use artificial intelligence to try to like predict where there's going to be crime and what neighborhoods they should police. But if it turns out that the information they get about that is based on the fact that they've over-policed certain neighborhoods in the past, right? so that it's not that neighborhood X actually has more drug activity, it's just that because the police were always in neighborhood X, they always caught the drug activity when there as just as much drug activity in neighborhood Y, they just didn't catch it. So now the system has learned from a set of data that's focused on. So I think that those questions about bias and about the way we automate decisions, uh, when we're using that technology to decide who gets jobs and who gets mortgages and who gets to live in what neighborhoods, those are really hard problems like that we learning, have to figure out how to address. Um, from like data so that is biased and contains racist views, is the AI like is it going to invariably be racist? Like, what are some ways we can actually combat it? Is it like inevitable that it's going to have bias too? No, oh, it's really, really important that we all say that we all recognize that it's not inevitable. It's a, it's a hard problem, but it's one that you know really good computer scientists with you know an ethical orientation are really working on. They're trying to think about it. Sometimes it's just a blind spot, you know, and um, sometimes it's it's a function of the fact that the teams of people who are training the computers are not diverse enough, and so people don't see the blind, you know, what they're teaching the computers. But sometimes it's you know that they they have people are learning how to interrogate the data that they're using to train the systems so that they can sort of countervail you know, have countervailing effect. Sometimes even using AI systems to detect bias in the first place, right? To figure out like whether the outcomes are. So uh, it's not inevitable. It's not easy. It's not an easy problem. Uh, But uh, we shouldn't resign ourselves to the idea that it's inevitable. We should fix it. Earlier, you mentioned AI could achieve an almost human level intelligence. And this sort of reminded me of what a Google researcher said where early scientists tried to make planes that looked like birds until they started to understand aerophysics more. Now planes look nothing like birds. Similarly with machines, as we understand cognitive science and machine learning, machines may think very differently than humans, even though we're sort of modeling their learning patterns like humans now. So how do you teach a machine human values and ethics if it could have completely different thought patterns than a human being? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think the first thing to say is that um, computers will never be, they'll never make human decisions because they can't experience human emotions, right? They can't, so they can't have them inflected with the kinds of um, judge, 
movement that humans are learned to make. But that doesn't mean they can't do a lot of things really powerfully, right? So what, computers are really good at detecting patterns, way, way better than human brains, because they can take in so much information so fast and they can sort of figure that stuff out. Sometimes what computers can do better than humans is <clears throat> they can figure out how to get to an endpoint um, without really understanding exactly how they get there because they just understand that that's the goal and so they sort of keep trying things until they until they get there. Um, but uh, so I, th I think the answer to your question though about how we kind of like make sure that human values matter is that, that um, it matters less how we get to the ends than what the ends are, right? So it matters what we're asking computers to do, right? And what we're asking them to solve and what kinds of outcomes we find acceptable, right? So like as humans, there's no reason why we should just blindly trust a, con a computer to say, let's decide who gets a mortgage. Here's a bunch of information, you tell me. And then we just say, okay, well, that's what the computer said, right? Like, no, these are decisions that affect humans. And so we have every right to sort of first demand that we understand how the computer got to its results. So, a lot of really smart people working on what they call AI explainability, which is basically to make it so that artificial intelligence is not a black box. It's not impossible to tell what it's doing so that we can evaluate whether it's fair and whether it's a thing we should trust. But also that, you know, in the end, we shouldn't take the technological solution as necessarily right. We take that as we should take it as right only insofar as it serves the kind of human values that we prioritize like those are things that computers will never be able to decide right they'll never be able to decide how we decide how much money goes to different schools or things like those are judgment calls that are human and so it's i think it's important to sort of no matter how much a computer looks and acts like a human it's not a human right it's a piece of technology that's responsive to us so do you think that explainable AI or transparent AI is necessary to be able to build an ethical AI? I do, yeah. Because I don't think it's reasonable to ask human beings to surrender important decision-making things to um, an unaccountable uh, box that you can't understand how it got to the results. I think you probably could remember lots of times when you were a kid when your parents would just say to you because I said so, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that's universally the thing the kids hate most, right? Because because there's no way to understand the rationality of it. It's just the imposition of an answer. But sometimes, as a parent, I will say, sometimes it's just easier <laughs> to say that. But imagine living in a world where that was the way all decisions were made, right? It was just because I said so, and you couldn't understand what it was. I think that would fly in the face of the way we think about of doing all kinds of justice, right? That it, Not that we ever do any of those perfect, but we need to understand so that we can make sure that it aligns with the values that we want it to. So with like, how will America balance making AI ethical, but also staying ahead in technology? Yeah. So I, one answer to that question is I think in the long run, there's no such thing as staying ahead in technology without ethics, right? Because at some point, um, you know, technology, technology exists, should exist in the world only insofar as it's improving the lives of human beings. Like there's no value in being ahead in technology if the technology is all bad, right? If it's all doing things that make people's lives worse. 
So the, the, the way to measure the quality of technology is not how fast the computer is or how well it makes, you know, it, it reaches certain results. It's whether those, those results improve the quality of the lives of people. And a lot of technology does that, right? There's lots of drugs that uh, cure diseases that people died from before. There are lots of uh, computers that make possible people, you know, like you and I are talking to each other right now and we could never have, right? So there's a lot of great technology for that. But, you know, there's other technology that doesn't really advance any important interest and actually makes it easier to hurt people. Uh, and so, you know, I think collectively we should we should decide that what it means to be ahead in technology is to to have more technology that does more good, right? That helps more people. Um, you know, and in the end, like the staying ahead in technology, I think has more to do with are we investing enough in schools and training in the next generations? Are we making sure we're investing in university research and then you know uh, in, in computing capacity and those kind of things? But it sh- I don't think it should ever be divorced from thinking about the technology doing good. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that technology can do good. I mean, technology that enables people to, uh, to you know, build more kinds of businesses that uh, help them live a better life. Uh, that's all great. So if one of the ways that we sort of advance technology is through students and school and education, is like the recent freezes on work visas or like student visas to for international students, is that going to put America behind in advancing in technology and AI? Yeah, without question, it will. It's, I mean, it's, first of all, it's cruel and it's inhumane and it's contrary to the values of the country. All of us, any of us who aren't Native Americans are immigrants to this country, right? My family came three or four generations ago. They came from Ireland at a time when people were dying because there was a potato famine. And uh, fortunately for my family, at the time they came, there weren't a lot of restrictions on coming, uh, even though Irish people weren't treated very well when they got here. So I find it particularly disappointing that uh, people of my age or older who are descendants of people who got to come here and build the new life would then pull the, the you know the ladder up of opportunity to other kinds of people, but it's also really short-sighted for the reason you just you just described. That there's some excellent work done by economists on this that show when we restricted immigration around the middle of the 20th century, around the time of World War II, it had generational impacts on uh, innovation afterward that that it took decades to make up for. So. Uh, it's really shooting ourselves in the foot in addition to being wrong and inhumane. So so would AI ever like achieve personhood, like if it de- became smart enough? And if so, what is sort of the threshold for it to get rights? Yeah, so this is a very, this is one thing when you go to college, you should study, uh, study some philosophy about this because uh, one, this is a hard question about what does it mean to be a person? Right? And we typically are only able to answer that question by sort of comparing it to something else and asking. So prior to um, computing getting you know, as advanced as it is now, we would normally have asked that question by comparing ourselves to chimpanzees or to monkeys and to say, like, well, what does it mean to be human? Let's compare what humans can do to what other things that we don't think are humans can do. Right? And so people would say, well, humans have opposable thumbs. They can play, they can make complex decisions, uh, they can, you know, and they, so there, there are things humans have the capacity to do. So it turns out that actually, as you 
have we learned more about chimpanzees and the complex societies they live in? A lot of those definitions we had weren't, weren't good enough. They didn't actually distinguish us from, from monkeys. Same thing is exactly the same thing is happening with respect to computers. It's like we used to have, it used to be pretty simple to tell humans and computers apart. There's this famous thing called the Turing test, which you might have heard of, which mm-hmm. is named after Alan Turing, where he basically asked, you know, like, if, if there's a point at which a human can't tell whether they're interacting with a computer or a human, maybe then we sort of passed. Uh, a lot of people now would talk, uh, would, would say that the measure of whether um, an AI system has become human is whether it's conscious. Um, I have to say, I'm, um, I'm, I might be a little bit of an outlier here. Like, I just, I think it's a category mistake to call a computer human. But I do think it's an important question to figure out why that is. Like, what is it that computers lack that humans have? Um, some of it is emotion, right? I think, but, um, but this is a sort of, I think, a big question of the next generation because you're right. Some of it will uh, wind up deciding things like does an AI system deserve rights? Is it going to be legally recognized in that way? How will we know whether we can turn them off, right? Like, is that murder if you're, if you think it's sort of human? Um, I actually don't think those questions are on the imminent, on the imminent side. I think they're still down the road a long way, but you know, a lot of what good philosophers do is think about those problems kind of in the abstract and in the advance as the technology advances so that it's not like, Oh my God, like we have this technology. What do we do? So anyway, it'll be your generation that does a better job of answering that than ours. So right now, one of the biggest concerns, I think, with AI is job displacement. Um, It is estimated to lead to loss of millions of jobs. And I mean, like you said, like, it is all about time, right? Like, at what time do we develop the technology to do it? But, like, is there a societal ethics question to, like, consider the negative impacts on the society due to job displacement yeah these are great questions by the way you're thanks uh, you've got all the big issues so yeah this is i have some colleagues who work on um in, in a project here they often sometimes call the they often call the future of work and they're asking questions like you are which is so technology has always displaced workers right that's that's happened forever right when we when we developed developed trains that put a lot of people out of business cars put a lot of blacksmiths out of business right Technology has always advanced uh, in a way that has displaced workers. Um, I think you're right that um, computing and artificial intelligence in particular promises to do that on a scale that's much different uh, and probably across a much wider range of jobs than we've ever kind of suspected, meaning usually in the past, technology has mostly displaced manual labor, Um, but computing is increasingly replacing white collar labor labor because there's less you need an accountant to do because a computer can do it right or there's less that you might need a lawyer to do because some of the tasks of being a lawyer can be done by computers so um i think it is a really important ethical question Uh, i think history has taught us mostly that like you can't stop technology from doing those things but you certainly have to be aware of the, the societal effects of it and so whether that means constantly investing and retraining workers in ways that allow them to participate in the new technology industries or it means making sure that like if technology winds up displacing enough labor that a lot of us just don't need jobs maybe it's time to start start talking about like a universal basic income though that i think we might be on the cusp of a world where 
we've we've all grown up in a world where we think that like the amount of money you make is related to the to the work you do and it might be that it just there's a we're going to have a break between work and money in a way that will never come back so yeah so um yeah i think i heard about one of the political candidates was kind of talking about that um, I forget their name, but yeah, they were talking about like um, the AI displacement and about like retraining and things like that. Um, I God, I forget their name, but yeah. yeah. So it's well, definitely. I, mean, I hope all the candidates have this on their radar screen because it's only accelerating, right? I mean, we've already seen technology d- displacing lots of factory workers, right? There's a lot of robots that have taken those jobs away. Artificial intelligence, I mean, artificial driving systems will probably displace truck drivers and a lot of people work on trains. Uh, Those are coming fairly soon. Uh, So, yeah, there's going to be lots of displacement. And I think it's a really important thing for policymakers not to think that the world is like it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I've read about um, the autonomous driving um, and the ethics involved in it, like such as, you know, the trolley problem is starting to get repurposed into AI, you know, where like if there's a car crash, you know, who do you prioritize to choose to, I guess, like kill? And so like what are some other areas that AI is starting to develop into right now that really urgently need a basis in AI ethics? Um, so, uh, to, to me, the, the most pressing uh, situation right now has to do with the use of uh, things like facial recognition technology, especially in the policing context, right? I think, as we've watched over the course of the summer, um, there are obviously lots of challenges in the way that we've policed in the past, the way that our country has policed, um, that some of the technological tools that are now available to police allow them to do those things in much more pervasive ways. Uh, so I'm really glad to see that some of the technology companies have kind of backed away from some of that technology. Um, but I think there really needs to be a lot of thought about um, whether we should have that technology at all. And if, and if so, like wh- how, it's, how it's used. That's a very big one, I think. I think the deployment of artificial intelligence in general needs a real serious thinking about bias problems and about explainability. Those aren't like context specific, but I think they're pervasive. Kind of issues, you know, and I think we're probably going to start seeing lots more questions about uh, surveillance in general, especially as people start using things like contact tracing apps. That, you know, when people go back to school, and you know, everybody's ring doorbells and the amount of things you can do on your phone. So, uh, I hope we're going to start seeing a you know more ethical conversation about that. About do we really want to live in a world where there's a camera on you all the time? Yeah. So. Like there's a, there's a lot of talk about AI being biased and having issues with um, racism and things like that. But can AI actually work to help solve some of these issues? I mean, not solve, but at least make better. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, certainly one thing AI can do sometimes is help you detect when the when it's going off the rails, right? So you can actually use AI system sometimes to detect bias, for example. Uh, so yeah, that sometimes uh, there are you know solutions like that. Like artificial intelligence can sometimes help identify uh, good prospects for drug development. Right, that can be really helpful and really good. So it's not the the message isn't I don't think artificial intelligence is always dangerous or is always bad. It's just that like every technology, um, it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. 
and you can't just assume that it's neutral just because it exists, right? Technology is embedded and used by people and you have to think about, is it being used the right way and for good reasons? So like there are a lot of um, news stories about AI right now and a lot of them focus on the fears of AI, but what are some like promises of AI? What, what are some of the transformational things that AI can do that are sort of beyond our grasp right now? Yeah, so I think drug development is one that I was mm-hmm. that I was highlighting. I think you know what an artificial intelligence tool can do is it can consider millions and millions of possible combinations, right? Uh, that would take a human, you know, lifetimes to do. Uh, that has the prospect of actually g- generating for us solutions to you know really persistent health problems. I don't know whether it'll be artificial intelligence, but gosh, I hope it helps us find a vaccine. For COVID a lot faster, right? I think artificial intelligence can help us do lots of things computationally to help us understand better how the world works. Uh, it can do things like, you know, I, it can be, I have a colleague who in computer science by the, who's using um, artificial intelligence to understand how people use images on social media to try to understand when do, when are they being used in ways that are just sort of funny memes and when are they be, being used in a way that are like trying to develop misinformation campaigns. Um, So obviously it's like, to some extent, the misinformation online is the result of the development of these tools. But now there's at least some hope, I think that some of the tools can be used to kind of identify and and help solve the problem. So, you know, I think there are lots of possible applications that could be helpful. Um, we, We need to hope that that's where people put their energy and the money. So you were mentioning before, like about um, cameras always watching us and like things like that. And so with, and you know, I recently read something about like quantum computers and they may like be able to hack RSA encryptions in like mere minutes. So how do you maintain people's privacy, but then like as we develop quantum computers and AI? Yeah, I mean, so quantum computing is like a, feels to me like a like a weird dream like when people try to explain to me what it is i just think it doesn't make any sense to me but um so i think the question of like how we maintain privacy in an increasingly um interconnected and increasingly technologically powerful world is a really important one sometimes the answers to those are really simple which is like some things just need to not be turned into data, right? Like, so, like, think about when, when you go, a friend of mine uses this example a lot, a friend of mine who lives in Boston, actually. He says, you know, when you go to the airport and you go through the security and you forgot to take the tube of toothpaste out, right? So they stop you, they make you open your bag. Then they find the tube of toothpaste and what do they do? They just throw it in the trash and they say, okay, go ahead, right? They don't turn that into an incident report, which now every time you show up at the airport, they scan your face and they're like, oh, I see that you've got these incidents in the past, right? So that's what the, an example of like, they don't have to turn everything into a data point that has to turn, you know, that has to be then findable by computers everywhere. So some, some of this is trying to think about what are the spaces that we ought to prevent technology from creeping into at all, right? And so that we should have no data about, so that the computers just, there's nothing for them to find, right? There's nothing for them to use. Some of that has to do with the design of the computer systems themselves, right? You have to sort of teach them like, don't get this stuff. Like, we don't we don't want to see it. Some of it is requ- requiring as a matter of policy that people use 
data only for the purposes that they say they're going to use it for and not for other things. So it's probably a, a combination of uh, community norms, teaching people like what do we want to expect of technology, the design of technology, and then some policy stuff to make sure that, but all of us are going to like, you know, the thing is, is that um, there's a, a fun, an old saying that like the, di- the, the line between any sufficiently complicated piece of technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? And I think that as technology advances, that statement becomes even more true, right? It's like, and so I think sometimes people don't, they don't understand the technology that's all around them well enough to make informed choices about things. And part of what I hope that places like ours will do is bridge the gap there. Do you think people trust um, AI too much? Because you're kind of mentioning like they don't really understand it to make informed yeah. decisions. So do you think they put too much trust into AI or technology without asking enough questions about where these decisions are coming from? Yeah, for sure that happens sometimes. I think it definitely happens with our government sometimes. It happens in other places. People don't, just don't look under the hood enough and they just, I think, you know, Partly because looking under the hood would require some self-examination about like how you would make these decisions on your own, but also I think people assume some some neutrality of technology that like you know the computer is not like affirmatively biased against women, right? It's not it's not it doesn't have a subjective emotional you know uh, ob- objection to hiring women, and so because that for that reason sometimes people have a hard time understanding. What, what does it mean to say that a computer is biased, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't harbor prejudices in the way that humans do. But that doesn't mean that it can't collect a lot of data and result in outcomes that can't be explained in any other way. And I think that's part of what we have to help people understand. So like I've been trying to, you know, research some um, AI ethics and some just ethical quandaries within AI. And I've like read about, you know, Asimov's robotics rules, but like what are some other theories or rules um, regarding AI ethics that are out there right now that are most influential? Yeah, so I wouldn't describe AI ethics as having a lot of rules. What I would say is there's a lot of principles, right? So you might see that there's a Vatican statement that just came out with, with principles on AI. There are a whole bunch of those kinds of principles that are, that are out there that, that sometimes industry organizations, sometimes government organizations uh, have signed on to. Um, and they're mostly good principles. It's just that they're, re- they're usually very general, right? So like AI should be, uh, should be understandable, right? And AI should, should not be biased and AI should be, you know, so, and it's like, like at that level of generality, like who could object to that, right? The question is just how do you implement it in a specific enough way that it means something, right? To say, well, the AI should be understandable. Like, okay, but how do you design the system in a way that passes that test, right? That's understandable. Who has to understand it? Does it just have to be computer scientists at MIT? Or does it have to be like you and me, you know, people who are not computer scientists but are reasonably informed? Does it have to be like the general population? Those are really different. So like with all these different viewpoints and like having corporations or even different other countries would have different ethic um, principles for AI. So how do you maintain sort of an ethical baseline if there's so many conflicting viewpoints? I mean, like I know your ethics lab kind of brings together like corporations and academia. So it's kind of merging 
um, two groups. So like, but how do you make them all work together to kind of have like a fundamental principle? So I would say, well, so that's the projects that we're going to do. We're going to do at the center. So I, I don't have a, like a single answer to that to give you. I wouldn't describe most of the principles as being in conflict with each other, except in this sense, which is um, most difficult ethical problems in the corporate space, just like they are in the law firm space and others, uh, arise because there's a conflict between your financial interest and your ethical interest, right? And when those two things don't point in the same direction, that's where it's hard because companies exist mostly to make money, but they also, you know, have, so like, what if a company, what if doing something would make that company really rich, but for society, it would be really bad for them to have done it. Um, so fortunately, I think there are actually are a lot of companies that really want to do right, but what they're hoping is that we can get collective enough agreement about what the right is so that they don't have to be out on an island you know, just surrendering money by themselves while everybody else is like, nice for you to be ethical. We'll take all your money. Right. Um, but then I think the other part of the answer is it's not just a question of whether they're in conflict with each other. It's also whether you make them concrete and specific enough that, um, it actually confines people's behavior. Right. So like, if I just say to you, like, Oh, there's a, here's a principle, like do good. Right. Well, that leaves a lot of room for you to kind of define for yourself what does it mean to do good. And you can sort of say, well, you know, yeah, I cheated on this test, but like that was so I could go to a good school so I could ultimately help people. And so like, that was good. Right. So you got to be more specific. You got to, you know, try to get it. And so that, that'll be part of our project with this, with this center is can we make some progress on being more specific and putting into place things that people can really kind of come together on.